pass to Johnson. Johnson still going. How good. Welcome back to another episode of Surly Talk Sport. Another week in the saddle off the back of a huge sporting weekend. Of course, I said last week she was set to be one of the greats. And often I say that, and probably to be honest, I truly don't mean it. I'm just trying to fizz you guys up. But last weekend, certainly delivered and ticked all the boxes, of course. Kicked off on Friday night with the mighty Waz getting the win over the Gold Coast Titans. She wasn't pretty. Hardly a Mona Lisa hanging in the Louvre type of win but two points is two points you gotta win ugly in order to win the comp the lads went over to the Gold Coast in front of a pretty much home Warriors crowd and took that box so happy days Super Saturday Saturday afternoon footy down at the Sistema lunchbox All Blacks also get the dub again not pretty by a bee's dick against Eddie Jones's lads, but a dub is a dub. Bunnings Far Cup, that is underway. Good to see. Entertaining code across the weekend of that competition. Then Jake Buller, he got the dub over Nate Diaz like we expected. Unfortunately, a tough weekend for the Silver Ferns. Women's Football World Cup, it's been all go in that world as well. So plenty to cover off there. So today, as usual, going to cover your NRL, your rugby, talk the All Blacks World Cup squad, as well as preview the week ahead for the Bunnings Far Cup, the weekly wrap, Q&A, remember to chuck the story up and the questions have flooded in, so we'll jump into those as well, so strap yourself in for the next hour or so, she's going to be all go, Big Fizz. Kicking her off with the greatest game of all, Rugby League God's Game. Round 23, of course, got underway last Thursday night with the Roosters taking on the Manly Gulls. The Chooks, too strong at the Sydney Cricket Ground, 26 points to 16. I tell you what, that Manly propping jersey, shit, it must be cursed. Maddie Lodge, gone with an ACL. Toff Sipley couldn't see out the duration of the game either. They're down so many rigs now up front. The old Manly Gulls, you can't help but feel a little bit sorry for them and saying that of course the Warriors take them on next weekend so the stage is set for a famous win at Daniel Anderson Stadium again though maybe looking a bit too far ahead the Chooks they were clinical in this game and hats off to them good to see Daniel Tupo dot down it was a strong performance from their forward pack as well they really set the tone up front Joseph Suali he was really good on the wing as well probably showing he's definitely not a centre more of a winger so a big result for the Chooks and that keeps their slim top eight hopes alive they're still in with a sniff and that was a big blow for Manly's final hopes as well a huge result for the course of this competition Friday night footy and of course everyone was bums on seats across our great nation to tune in eight o'clock kickoff which saw the Titans host the Warriors at Seabus Super Stadium she's listed as an away game but you wouldn't have known it if you tuned in you could hear the booze ringing through your TV sets as the Titans lads ran out onto the field it's so good to see the Warriors faithful 
traveling in massive numbers across the Gold Coast. That is always historically a place where a lot of Kiwis like to set up camp, but it seemed like probably 80 to 90% of the crowd were Warriors fans, and the lads certainly felt the love. It felt like a home game for them too, and I genuinely believe that played a huge role in getting our boys across the line. 28 points to 18, she finished at full time. I mentioned in the intro, it was hardly a clinical type of performance. The first 20 minutes, we were pretty rusty, fresh off the bye. Things weren't quite firing as usual. We had some good shape, but just too many errors off the back of it. Passes not going to hand. We were setting up our usual plays, you know, middle of the park, 10 metres out, block runners off SJ, out the back to Chance, but that last pass just wasn't sticking. We were definitely a bit clunky, and it's fair to say that was probably the story for the full 80 minutes as well. I kept expecting us to really hit our straps. It didn't quite happen, but hey, plenty happened during the game, so let's rip into my thoughts and the key takeaways for this one. The first talking point, Chance Nickel clock start. Unfortunately, a nasty head knock for him, of course. This is his third this year as well, so it's starting to get into worrying territory, and I wouldn't be surprised if Webby plays it really cautious with Chance and we don't see him again for a couple more weeks. The genuine stand down, 11 days, you have to tick that box at the NRL, but again, Webby has shown this year he's so cautious with injuries, he doesn't like rushing blokes back, so I wouldn't be surprised if Chance sits on the Rimu for a couple extra just to get the noggin right, because three and one season, that's heading into Kalen Ponga territory. It was good news though, he flew home with the team and he was feeling pretty good on the Saturday, so that is a positive, but yeah, nasty head knock, it took him a while to get up off the dirt, and as a result, it resulted in Mo Fotuaika getting sent off for the duration of the game. It's an interesting tackle when you break it down, contact to the head, so by the letter of the law, it was definitely ascending, but you got to factor in other elements as well. Was there intent? I just think sending offs, red cards effectively in the world of rugby union, it should only be for acts of real foul play and malice. Don't think there was a lot of malice in this one, but by the letter of the law, it was ascending, and off he goes. Murata Neokore, speaking of sin bins, geez, that was a crock of shit, and to be fair, the refereeing throughout this game and across the weekend was pretty woeful as a whole. This one, though, this really pissed me off. He gets sent to the bin for a slap on the face to Fafida in retaliation to him initiating it and going at Murata. If it wasn't Murata Neokore, I have no doubt in my mind our player would not have been sent and if you are going to send Marata then you got to send for feeder as well he was the initiator and I mentioned it was a slap it was barely a touch across the chops I've seen bigger contact in a kindergarten biff and the fact that this is where we've got to as the great game it used to be built around toughness the players think it's a joke as well absolute BS sending him off for 10 and then you add to that the fact that AKP was doing something that I genuinely genuinely thought was at least worth a penalty, maybe even a sin bin, he's pulling Dallin Watini Zelezniak's hair all throughout that first half, and I get it, he's only human, he wants a piece of the Zelezny snack like we all do, but surely that's at least a penalty, you can't be pulling blokes here, he's often on the ground, in the tackle, underneath Dell, just pulling at the mullet, didn't even get warned, was just left to do it throughout the game, tough stuff, surely Dallin wasn't too fizzed with it either, we've seen it happen a few weeks 
weeks now where players with longer hair are getting tugged by it. I think the NRL needs to look at it. The old standard response from the Aussie media is just to shave it off. But if you think Dylan's going to shave that lid off, it would cause way more controversy, way more backlash if he did. New Zealand as a nation, we would protest outside Mount Smart if he shaved off that lid. So surely something to look at for the NRL there. But again, like I said, I thought the refereeing in general was really poor throughout this game and also throughout the duration of the round. That SJ disallowed try where he threw the long ball to Dow. They brought it back for obstruction. The pass had already been thrown by the time the player obstructed anyone. She was a try for all money and absolute crock of shit. But on to the highlights and speaking of SJ, the Prince, he showed up and he saved the day. He was sick too. So this was probably his flu game throughout the week. He was battling with some sickness. So SJ turns him to MJ, Michael Jordan, two tries. He just turned it on. The first one, a nice little right, right, then a hearty palm on David Fafuita's chest. It's not often you see the big fella get sat on his ass like that. So that's something to show on replay to your kids. No doubt he'll be adding that to his hissing highlight reel to reminisce on in years to come. And then his second try... Pure beauty from Delanois Tenezelezniak. An unreal long ball from SJ. Backs up on the inside. Dallin draped in Titans defenders. Probably three on them. But he still manages to sling the stead in straight to Shawnee. In for a meaty. One of the great balls of the season. And that saw us taking a 12-6 lead at halftime. Again clunky. But if you can head into Oranges up on the scoreboard. She's happy days. I thought momentum changed with the injection of the ball. Bash brothers. It was spoken about pre-game Webby he was targeting that last 20 minutes of the game to inject Jazz fresh off his long sit out with an injury they brought him on right before half time he definitely tired throughout the game due to his match fitness or his lack thereof but his effort and energy and his combo with walks that could see us win games alone it was good to see him join the 17 Tamari Martin aside I think that was probably our strongest side to trot out that we've done all year but again Jazz walks just high effort high intensity they'll tackle everything they're always following up through the ruck we saw it when walks got that break off the back of an egan pass couldn't ice it sj could have had a hat trick it is what it is but i'm really excited by the return of jazz and that duo that one-two punch that they bring us off the bench onto the second half good to see jackson ford score straight away and give us a nice little buffer you could tell webby had obviously laid down the law in his unique andrew webster type of way at oranges the boys came out firing and a nice little try there then Titan struck back Jaden Campbell with the intercept and I gotta say initially I didn't think this was a try and watching the replays I couldn't be even more sure of it the fact this one didn't go up to the bunker again a shocker from the officials I thought Short clearly knocked it on surely you gotta have a look at that well done to Jaden though the kid is lightning we'll touch on him soon in the standouts for the games but boy is he a genuine rugby league handful then later in the game we saw Tohu Harris strike and cross the chalk off the back mainly of the Titans defense being so worried about Adam Fenua Blake good to see our skipper dot down it was his first try of the year he's off the nudie run round 23 too so no doubt he was getting pretty anxious about having to get his kid off in front of the lads boy did he celebrate it too that was probably pure relief as you would but well done to him then Dallin he scored late to keep his unreal run going and probably tick many boxes and people 
people's multis all across the country. Young AKP, he made a meal of it. SJ put a nudge through and the kid fell over. Maybe it was revenge karma for tugging on his luscious locks earlier in the game. But always good to see Dallin dot down. So over the course of the 80 minutes, it wasn't pretty. But two points is two points. You got to win ugly in order to win the comp, like I mentioned. And add to that, SJ, he probably racked up another six Dally M points again. So you got to look at it. We ticked our two objectives. We get the win. And Shawnee keeps himself atop of the Dally M ladder. 16 points from him. Two tries, two force dropouts, two try assists, a couple line breaks, only three PCMs. So that's probably his work on here. But listen to his stats for the year. And this, for me, puts him above anyone else. There's a lot of Dally M chat at the moment. People saying SJ could win it. I think we need to change that could to a should or even to that he's an absolute shoe and he leads the NRL in kick meters in all kicks and in short dropout retrievals which has been a huge part of our game this year every time teams put grubbers into our in goal they force repeat sets we've been able to get a lot of them back I think 22 or 23 odd we have retrieved that's his rugby experience coming into play there played a lot of the 15 man game growing up and he just does those rugby 10 meter kickoffs get some good height on him and the likes of Pompey and Rocco they go up and bat them back great to see he's second equal for try assists in the comp with 22 he's fourth equal for line break assists with 18 he scored eight tries 171 total points he's been good off the rubber this year kicking the old stead in between the two vertical sticks and then most importantly and I think this is where he's come on and leaps and bounds in 2023 391 tackles made at a 92% efficiency so the Prince of Penrose for me he's locked up the Warriors second ever Dally M medal and it's just a pleasure to sit back and watch this bloke he's aged like a fine wine rigged doom Pilates clearly working for the kid and he's producing some unreal footy just looks so happy on and off the paddock you love to see it for one of the club's greats. Other standouts for me from this game, I thought Adam Fenua Blake, again, he was a monster. You could put it on repeat week in, week out, but listen to these numbers. 54 minutes he played. He had 16 carries for 169 metres and 80 PCMs. The boy is a post-contact meter eater and a true pleasure to watch. Wade Egan Park had a try assist, two line break assists, 34 tackles and 80 minutes of work in the middle. Love that. Jackson Ford, he again proves he's the money ball buy of the year. He had a try, 158 run meters off 17 carries, six tackle breaks, 36 tackles made, only two missed in an 80-minute shift as well. He did have that one unfortunate try assist to Jaden Campbell through the intercept, but like I said, it shouldn't have been a try, so up yours to the bunker. And then finally, wanted to shout out Tane Tuapiki as well. 63 minutes, 165 run meters, six tackle breaks. The kid is slippery, had some nice touches of ball playing too. We did see it break down a couple times when Shawnee went out the back to him, looked to find Dallin and they didn't quite have the timing that him and Chance have, but that's a combo thing. That's about TIS, time and saddle. You've often heard me refer to that. This kid, he gives me true Kevin Locke vibes. He's a slider build, footwork a doom on him, and one-on-one, he's a defender's worst nightmare, as highlighted in those six tackle breaks. And to come on as 18th man, only 17 minutes into the clash, and run a muck like he did, held his own, was pretty solid on defense as 
as well. Good positional play. You've got to remember this bloke was the Queensland Cup Player of the Year last year, so he's every bit of genuine rugby league throbber. And in him, we have a great replacement for chance should Webby take that cautious route like I mentioned. And in Tain we trust. Then for the Titans, got to shout out Jaden Campbell as well. This bloke needs to be a starting fullback week in and week out in the NRL. He ran a muck, came in late. He was named in the 14 jersey initially. Then they listed him at centre. True mind games from the Titans. Ended up playing at the back, of course, Brimo. He's out with a rib cartilage injury, I believe. He scored a try. 258 run metres off 16 runs, albeit he did go the length of the field off that intercept, so slightly inflated there. He also had six tackle breaks, and then defensively, he was solid as well. 12 tackles, two miss. That's not easy to do at the back, but more importantly, every time he got the ball, you just move your bum to the edge of your seat. You're on high alert, and you know anything could happen, so well done to the kid. He's about 70 kilos dripping wet, but shit, does he punch above his weight. And your other games, the second of your Friday night footy clash, the Panthers again flexed their muscle and showed they are way too good, beating the Melbourne Storm 26 points to 6. It was easy days for the Panthers again. Off the back of their defence, they're able to just grind teams down. If you make any mistakes against them, they will make you pay. Cleary with a clinic and the fact they can move Zach Hosking, son of Mike, into the centres and he has a near flawless game. It's just a credit to their system and how good of a side they are for the Storm. She was tough pickings. Good to see Ryan Pappenhausen back for their Queensland Cup side though. Ripping and tearing through 40 minutes. I notice he's not listed again this week. So Bellamy, he's not going to rush him back. He knows finals footy is where they need a little puppy. But positive signs for the Storm on the horizon with him back. I think once you chuck him back into that spine, they will be every bit of finals footy side. But the Panthers way too good at Blue Bear. Surprise, surprise. Super Saturday, and it was the Battle of Queensland with the Broncos, despite not having Adam Reynolds still coming away with the chocolates against this Cowboys side. Many people fancied the Cows, myself included, once Adam Reynolds was ruled out, but the boys from Brizzy, they still got busy and turned it on, showing that they are every bit deserved of being tied at the top of the competition ladder. Reese Walsh, strong performance from him, again ripping in a tear, and Patrick Carrigan, Old carry again, dotted down for another media. I tell you what, he went 78 games without one, two in two weeks. The kid has flipped a switch. Maybe he's addicted to meat pies now. Another strong performance from him, and he's right up there, if not the best 13 in the game at the moment. Him, Isaiah Yo, Cam Murray, a bee's dick between the three of them, all playing some great code. And I also wanted to mention Payne Haas. Shit, is this kid good. He trucked nut exceptionally again in the weekend, over 160. 60 run meters. He had 44 tackles, zero missed. He actually hasn't missed a tackle since round 14, which is crazy to think. Playing in the middle. On top of that, zero errors and another nice stat for you here. He hasn't had an error in a game since round seven. So well done to Payne. Every week I compare Adam Fanoa Blake and him to see who's the best prop in the game. But that's some truly elite numbers from the big fella. And again, he was a pain in the house for the Cowboys D who just didn't quite show up they got blown off the park and to be fair of the Broncos they probably butchered three or four more tries so the scoreline could have been 
even bigger. Your next game, the Knights get the chocolates in a tight tussle against the Dolphins. Jermaine Izarko bagged a hat-trick in about a seven-minute period, which was good watching. They were piling it on on that night's edge up against Marju and Best. The Knights, though, they bounced back. Kalen Ponga started running amok, and it was enough for them to steal the victory, laid in the piece, and cement themselves in the top eight as well. How good is that? Then your final game on your Saturday night saw the Sharks pull off a boil over at Optus Stadium in Perth. Of course, the Knights game and this one, a back-to-back doubleheader in Perth. Massive crowds too, over 50,000, which has reignited that debate that maybe they should have a team in the comp. But the Sharkies, they pulled it off, butchering the Bunnies 26 points to 16. For me, it was more a case of the Rabbitohs just not firing a shot. The Sharks thought they tried hard against the Panthers the week before just couldn't get the dub they were decent again here the bunnies shit have they left their run too late they were very cautious with Latrell. they were always confident once he came back they would be firing on all cylinders maybe that is not the case they really needed to win this game and that's made this weekend a much win as well as they sit right on the cliff of the top eight super sunday Eels scrape home against the Dragons. They had a pretty lucky call go their way as well. Dragons fans will be stinging that that wasn't called a strip on Clint Gutherson. But Dylan Brown's back and Para get the dub. It was all Dragons early doors, but in the end, the Eels got the chocolates. Bryce Cartwright, the old Cardi Party, dotted down for a double. And he's playing good code this year. The Eels still not convinced on them, whether they are a top eight side. A pretty tough run home as well. They got the bye round 27, though. That could be the two points that secures them a shot in the eight your final game Raiders another side I'm not sure if they are a top eight footy team they're currently sitting in fourth I think but that is a true false fourth their points and against differential is almost minus 80 which is ridiculous for a team sitting that high on the ladder they scraped home against the Tigers Tigers to be fair put up a hell of a fight and I really wanted them to win this one it just wasn't to be young Sebastian Chris he was probably the standout for the Raiders got himself a double but then also injured himself in the process. So tough times there. He's not listed this week, so they lose a bit of strike power without him out. Tigers, they were able to hang their head high off the back of that one, and they head into this Warriors clash, perhaps feeling a little hard done by that they didn't come away with only their fourth win of the season, Wooden Spooners. And hopefully we make them look like just that again this weekend in the Tron. So on we march into this week's footy, of course, tonight we have the Manly Gulls taking on the Penrith Panthers, 11th versus first. This game is at Four Pines Park in Sydney, but I can't see that home ground advantage advantage being enough to get the Manly goals home. Penrith will be too strong and I think probably by that 13 plus margin. Panthers, they've won their past seven games against the Eels. I see them making that eight on the trot for sure. Next up, Full Fizz Friday, a doubleheader with the Sharkies taking on the Titans and the Broncos taking on the Eels. Sharks-Titans, for me this is going to be an interesting game. I had a look at the odds earlier. The Titans, they're playing massive overs for me. I'll touch on this again tomorrow in the punting pod, but I think they will push them, even without Mo Fotuweka in their lineup for the Sharkies. Pretty settled lineup, almost a similar roster to the one that trotted out last week. Shout out as well to Wade Graham. Listen 
listed as the captain in the 12 jersey. He did announce that this year will be his last in the NRL. One of the game's greats, shit, when he was in his peak, his prime, prior to all those injuries, he was a true hybrid, a Tesla, I like to call them, a ball-playing second rower, had the skill set of doom. So well done to old Wado. Interesting game this for me. Jaden Campbell named at the back, so he'll be on high alert. And Tino Farsaw Malawi comes back into this forward pack as well. I'm expecting an arm wrestle and don't ride off the Titans. Then your second game, oh, your full fizz Friday doubleheader is the Bronx taking on the Eels at the Gabba, of course. Suncorp, that is out of action due to the Soccer World Cup. The Tilly's going great guns there. Adam Reynolds, he's back for the Bronx and he'll take his usual spot in the seven jersey. Other changes, Jordan Ricky named to start in the 12, which sees young Pierre Cora push to the bench. Shit, has he been a good find for them? Been unreal while old pretty Ricky has been out for the Eels. Pretty settled lineup. Good to see Dejan Arce come in to start in the centres as well. And ex-warrior Jack Merchandise named on an extended bench. I think the Bronx will be too strong here though. I'm interested to see how the Eels hold the their own because they struggled last week this is a genuine test for them and if they want to be a top eight side they should be able to go close with the Bronx every competition point is important for them but again Reynolds back Broncos hot to trot firing on all cylinders I think they'll be well and truly too strong and come away with the win there Super Saturday kicks off with the Rabbitohs taking on the Dragons again interesting to see the Rabbitohs extremely high favourites for this clash Dragons paying almost seven rugby league dollars which is crazy money for this this is a genuine grudge match these two they love coming up against each other and in the past I feel like the Dragons have always aimed up well against the Bunnies in fact they've won their last two straight against them they're aiming to make it three straight for the first time since the 2010-2011 season the Dragons have also lost their last six games by six points or less I'm expecting a genuine arm wrestle and I think it's going to be really tight the Bunnies, again, much like the Eels, if they want to show that they are a competition threat, they need to fire here and put on a shift. Bunnies will get the win, but it's going to be exceptionally tight, and I'd love to see Latrell Mitchell run amok just to put to bed any chat that he's not where he was pre-injury. He loves the big stage, he loves when the haters pile on, so expecting a big shift from him. Then the main event, 7.30 down in the Tron, the Tigers taking on the Warriors, 17th versus 3rd, and of course this is a home game for the Tigers so let's start there by applauding them for being one of the only teams in fact I think the only team to bring one of their home games over to New Zealand like so many of them said they would last year while the competition was running it was all fake promises from those other sides but the Tigers Benji Marshall and co they've stuck true to their word they've done it and bought the game to the Tron so cheers to them and it was cool to see a message floating around on social media where someone had acknowledged that and was messaging various sports pages encouraging fans not to boo the Tigers as they run out and I completely agree we should clap them we should thank them for their efforts in bringing the game here clap them as they run out and then we'll clap them on the field 13 plus them once that whistle blows she's well and truly game on but for the Tigers just the one change for them Charlie Staines drops out of the side they've listed him here with an injury but I think it's genuinely out of fear of course fans will remember in the preseason. season 
Marcelo Montoya turned him into a doormat, ran over the top of him for a great try down that left edge. I think he's still got PTSD from that collision, so decided to sit out out of fear of taking on Marcelo. Good news for them, though. Stefano Utoakamanu, their big New South Wales representative forward, comes back in the lineup to bolster up their propping stocks. Imagine coming back from concussion, looking at the team sheet and having to take on Adam Fanua Blake, Mitch Barnett and Tohu Harris. Fuck that, I would have sat out another week. Good on the kid for lacing up, and to be fair to the Tigers, like I mentioned before, they probably could have got the win last week, and they've been a bit sharper over the last couple of weeks. Luke Brooks, Uppy Cottesell, both back from injury, and playing some good codes, so this won't be a walkover, like the old ladder positions suggest for the Warriors. Just the one change, Webby again is the luxury of trotting out the same 17, you gotta love that. Taintuapiki, of course, comes in for Charles Nick clock starred as the result of that HIA but apart from that she's a settled lineup and again our bench absolutely stacked Walker, Tavanga, Bailey Surin and Josh Curran I think 14 to 17 that is the best Remu in the comp call me biased but then you get hard ball running you get energy you get the ball bash brothers and all four of those blokes extremely versatile they can fill multiple roles we've even seen old Joshy Curran lace up in the centres during a game this year didn't look too out of place either the old people's mullet so a strong 17 for our lads and I'm excited to see us back on home soil and really hit our straps the weather forecast she's not looking great she's meant to to rain which of course as a Warriors fan this year straight away that ups the anxiety level roosters rabbitos historically we haven't been great when she's been a bit of drizzle around but I think the boys now third chance at working it out Webby mentioned we've tried to play around teams too much when she's raining cats and dogs so I expect us if that is the case to truck nut dominate the middle of the park, Egan to get out and scoot, work his magic around the ruck and we will get a real roll on, then we sling it wide once there's some tiring bodies and the likes of your Tains, your SJs Lukey Met, they use their footwork to run amok and terrorise the Tigers and then we come over the top of them, I'm expecting a 13 plus win, fingers crossed that is the case too, it is one of those banana skin games where we could get tripped up but an important two points to keep us hot on the Broncos heels the Bronx have a tough run home if they can slip up twice and we keep our winning streak alive we will leapfrog them and play finals footy at home that would be huge for the duration and the outcome of our season so hopefully that can all come out into play start manifesting at Warriors fans and hopefully that can happen but again a settled 17 I'm expecting us to roll down to the Tron FMG Stadium in Waikato she's sold out big fizz from the fans that don't get to see a lot of footy down there hopefully she's not a repeat of Napier in terms of the pitch invaders getting on the field if you are going to the game and you're thinking of doing something stupid like that keep your bums on seats keep cheering from the crowd the players hate it so that should be enough incentive for you to not get on the park no one finds it that funny or entertaining these days unless of course you've got all your kit off then it's a bit more respectable but still stay in the stands enjoy the spectacle on the field and let the these footy players entertain you. 
Big win for the boys. Should be a great night down in the Tron. If you're heading down, let me know. Can't wait to see you. And hopefully, I know it's a Tigers home game, but I'm sure the crowd will get up and start singing that Warriors team song on full time, just like they did over in the Gold Coast on the weekend. Again, unreal scenes. You gotta love that. And up the mighty was the old Blake Ashford Bowl, Tigers versus Warriors. And hopefully, we bring home that silverware. The final game of your Super Saturday, Roosters taking on the Finns, 12th taking on 14th. A couple changes for the boys from Bondi. Of course, Nathan Brown, he is out suspended. Lasted about 25 seconds. In last week's game, I believe, that's got to be right up there for the quickest bloke to ever get sent from the game. No arms to the head. Shit, does he have a track record? And between him and Victor Radley, the Chooks probably have the biggest fine book in the comp. Luckily, old Nick Politis is rich as fuck. But good to see in Jersey 17, Dylan Nupper coming into the NRL side, of course. Did a stint in Super League. Used to be one of the biggest enforcers in the comp. So cool to see him trotting back out there for the Fins, not a lot of changes. Ray Stone comes back in the 14 jersey, but she's a pretty settled lineup. Anthony Milford also on the pine, so again, they're going to run those triple playmakers at some stage. Got to say, Cody Nikorima has been looking pretty threatening at the back as well. So the Fins, they love to play that fuck it footy, high intensity. They spread the nut, and with the hammer and balance to Fade, they got two unreal strike weapons in the centres. So the Roosters, they'll have to be on high alert and ready to rip in defensively. This is two points they need to keep themselves marching towards the eight. So no doubt Robbo will have them up and about for this one in what should be a hissing game. Then your Super Sunday double header with the Storm taking on the Raiders and the Knights taking on the Doggies. Interesting clashes this. Storm in fourth, Raiders in fifth. A lot to play for for these two teams. Mentioned Sebi Chris. He is out for the Raiders. That is the one change. Young Ethan Strange coming in to make his debut. I saw as well on Instagram. Instagram. His dad is an NRL coach at the Roosters. He must be an assistant. His sister plays in the NRLW and now he is in the NRL. A heck of a trio and clearly those strange genes genetically they were born to play footy. So great to see for the Storm. A couple big inclusions Jerome Hughes and Xavier Coates named to return. Also see Sims in Jersey 21 on an extended bench alongside Remus Smith as well. So it could start to see the Storm 17 return to to almost full strength. Still no Justin Ollum. Rumours they're shopping him as well to other teams, so clearly he's fallen out of Bellamy's good books. And like I said, still no Ryan Papanels, and Nick Meany keeps his spot at the back. He's a bloody quality footballer, though, so they don't have to rush back, little puppy. And then to round us out, we have the Knights taking on the Doggies. Knights in 7th, Dogs in 15th, but they are fresh off the bye, and they welcome back a few bodies as well. Good to see the big English bopper, Luke Thompson, return. I think I think it's his first game this year. He went down in pre-season. Of course, he's on almost a million bucks a year, I believe. So here's a big signature for Gus Gould's lads. And great to see him back out there in their last game. Prior to the bye, they did get the win over the Redcliffe Finns, albeit late, almost stole it. But with Viliami Kikau, Sexton back in the mixer, they do have a pretty dangerous lineup on paper. Jacob Preston, one of the great rookies of this year. Liam Knight also coming in to take his spot on the pine so they're certainly not to be underestimated for the Knights. Bradman Best, the old shinny arm sleeve combo he unfortunately is out which sees Heimel Hunt, one of the great alliteration names, come into the extended bench. Anari Tuala gets the start over him. Interesting to see Daniel saif 
Rafidi, also named in the team despite leaving the game early last week. For me, I think the Knights will be too good. They're so confident at the moment. Gamble responsibly. Jackson Hastings, Kalen Ponga and Phoenix Crosland have them marching around the field and playing some good code. And in their pack, Fitzgibbon, Adam Elliott, Frizzell, Leo Thompson, Jacob Saifidi. I think they're extremely underrated. So I'll be back in the Knights to get the win in front of a no-doubt sold-out McDonald Jones Stadium there in Newcastle. And they will continue to march their way into finals footy. You love to see it. In terms of other big NRL news as well, there was a couple talking points I wanted to touch on. The first one, Justin Morgan, of course, the Warriors assistant coach. It has been rumoured, announced by the Mole, that he is signing a three-year deal with the Cowboys, so he will be losing our shores. Maybe a bit of a connection there with Toddy Payton, who, of course, used to be in the WARS setup as well. But just wanted to acknowledge the efforts of Morgs. He's been great this year, and it is a bit of a bummer. It looks like we have a great dynamic at the moment between our assistants. You have to remember, though, and Cam George said it last year, that Webby, he inherited our assistance this year in 2024 was when he was going to be able to make the changes he wanted to his coaching staff. So maybe it was a matter of Webby not wanting Morgs and looking elsewhere. I'm sure there's no bad blood there because again, looks like there's a great chemistry. Rumours now though that we will be signing James Webster, the brother of Andrew and Smart Observers may have noticed that he was in the coaching box a couple weeks back at Mount Smart. If this is the case, I think it's a great signing for two main reasons. Webby, he's worked with fellow assistant Richie Agar before at Hull and he's also spent some time under Tim Sheen so clearly he knows his stuff when talking rugby league. The main reason though is that I think this keeps Andrew Webster at our club for the long term. If he's bringing in his brother then clearly he sees a big future at the Mighty Waz and that is our main priority. Came out during the week, we want to lock him in long term. I'm talking chuck the chair book at the bloke. 10 years, make him an honorary Kiwi. Statue out the front of Mount Smart next to Stacey Jones, Simon Mannering and co. If that helps to get him over the line, whatever it takes to keep this bloke at the helm of our rugby league club. Let's make it happen. So some interesting news there. And then finally, the NRL, they've come out with some great news for Kiwi based fans of the state of O. It's rumoured the great game is coming here in 2027 to Aotearoa. And as a result probably to Auckland and Eden Park and I'm all for this of course being a massive Blues fan I think New Zealand gets around state of origin like we are another state in Australia the game will sell out in minutes and it'll be a true bums on seek spectacle up the mighty Blues and hopefully a famous win for us maybe if it's a standalone weekend by then as well 2027 she is four years away so it could well be maybe we could have a Kiwis game prior to that as the curtain raiser take on Tonga that would pull out a massive crowd or even a North versus South Island type of game a New Zealand style state of origin that's been in talks as well but for me next and arguably more importantly while the NRL clearly has New Zealand on our mind what I want to see is an Anzac game between the Storm and the Warriors be brought to Mount Smart because shit do we deserve this for some reason the Melbourne Storm they've claimed ownership to this game for far too long. Tuesday night at Mount Smart, 8pm kickoff. The place would sell out in seconds. It would be an unreal atmosphere and for me that is the acknowledgement the Warriors deserve for the sacrifices they made over the last couple seasons to keep the game alive. So let's make that happen. Love that the State of O is coming here. 
maybe Kiwi's game or that North versus South Island before it. But next on the priority list and arguably more important to me, let's bring the Anzac game here. Warriors versus Storm at Mount Smart on a Tuesday night. A sellout, the fortress will be humming and that is the reward that our great club deserves. Up the mighty was. Jumping across to the 15-man code and plenty of boxes to tick here. Weary, that was a long, deep dive into all things NRL, so I'll try and keep it moving. But I don't want to hum over it either, of course. Started Saturday Arvo with the All Blacks taking on the Wallabies. A huge result for us, managing to scrape home and still pull off the victory. And we were certainly far from our best. She was hardly a vintage All Black performance. A great first 40 minutes from Eddie Jones's lads, and they clearly had the wood over us. Headed into Orange. Oranges with a healthy lead, but once we rolled our bench, they changed the course of this game. The front row, that swap was instrumental, and then bringing on Aaron Smith and Richie Mwanga helped take our game to another level. So far from clinical, but a great second 40 minutes saw us come over the top of a spirited Wallabies side. They clearly made their adjustments, and I think Eddie Jones would be pretty happy with this performance from his lads. They scored first, two back-to-back tries to get us underway to Marika Karambeti, and unfortunately that was down shooters wing of course friend of the show on debut many have come out now and said that defensively he's not up to the task of international rugby to them I would say that both of these tries weren't as a direct result of shooters defense the lead up play the Wallabies were breaching us through the middle of the field which as a result had us scrambling we were short in numbers there's not a lot you can do as a winger when short on numbers that first one maybe he could have got a bit more of a hand on Corumberi and tried to push him out but Marika is built like a brick shit house. so good luck doing that the second one he ran over the top of D-Mac Shooter got there late and tried to help out his mate but couldn't pull it off so I genuinely believe and of course I've got rose tinted glasses but I don't think both of those tries you can solely pin on Shooter and more as a team defensive effort we just weren't up to it on attack I thought he was great and in the second half he really got into his work it was great to see him dot down of course Good for the punters as well. If you got on that first, second or third try score, a boosted option at the TAB, like I was preaching for everyone to do, then she was happy days. The kids saluted. few nice touches as well. Put Will Jordan through a nice hole with some silk ball playing and some great steals defensively. Some unreal work at ruck time, which I'd never seen from the bloke, and I was quick to tell him as well. Richie McCaw-like, so maybe the presence of the GOAT in the All Blacks camp in the lead-up helped inspire that. But again, touched on it before I thought bringing on those experienced heads from the bench really changed the game Dane Coles he was unreal at hooker the front row they shored us up at set piece and then Richie Mawanga absolutely clutch and unfortunately it was a tough night for Damian McKenzie and people have been coming hard at the kid now he's one of those players when we're going forward he looks so good and he really rolls the dice and things start to come off for him he plays the same style of footy though even when we're going backwards so those dice rolls they don't come off and it can look pretty poor on the eye it certainly wasn't a great day at the office for DMAC but I don't think we should be riding this bloke off again I thought his performance and the performance of the back line as a whole in that first half was a result of our forward pack not getting dominance. Richie Moe came on though he did start to get the lads going forward. Just his general gameplay is kicking. The way he marches the team around the field. He's got that running threat and of course that clutch goal kick to ice the game as well. 20 all 
bangs it over from about 45 out on the angle. Never looked like missing either. That is truly elite stuff, and he's certainly put to bed the debate now of who is our best first five. I think he'll be starting at 10, Bodie Barrett at the back. It's now whether DMAC can sneak his way onto the bench because he can cover that 10-15. Certainly early indications appear, though, that Fozzie doesn't have him in his 23, so keep an eye on that. But a good win for the lads. It's good to see us go undefeated throughout this rugby championship in Bledisloe and take in some great form. Four on the trot, confidence all round. There were some big blows. Brody Retallick, PCL, out for four to six weeks, of course, named in the Rugby World Cup side. Interesting to hear him say he's probably targeting that last pool game at the latest if he's being realistic, so he won't be on the field for France. Luckily, we have Scotty Barrett and Sammy Whitelock two of the best locks going round, so his absence won't be as missed as he would with other teams. We do need him back, though, for finals footy. I'd still have him starting with Sammy White's on the bench, so fingers crossed Brody can get some ligament lube in him, load up on the fish oils and get those ligaments back up and humming at 100%. Braden Enor, got to feel sorry for the bloke, ACL injury, so he'll probably be out for a year, which means he'll miss the Crusaders Super Rugby campaign as well, making that Levi Almoa signing from them even more important, but tough times, I'm not sure if he was going to be in the World Cup squad, although did come off the bench against South Africa and the Wallabies, which is when you could argue we played our strongest side so maybe he wasn't Fozzie's calculations tough for him though you hate to see guys World Cup dreams be shattered as the result of an injury so rest up Enor apart from that though we got through tick the box got the win a good spectacle fun to watch cool to see the game go down to the wire and again well done to the Aussies they clearly identified areas on the paddock they wanted to target this young and almost inexperienced all black side and they made them work for it much like the Warriors though you gotta win ugly in order to win World Cups so good to see our boys dig deep, go to the well, and come away with the chocolates. And shout out to Sean, extremely proud watching this game from the comfort of my couch. Good to see he was emotional, his parents on the field with him after the game, a couple tears flowing. What are 18 months for the kid? It's crazy to think in that time last year he was playing club footy for the Cody. Since gone on to rip up for the All Blacks 15, Mouldy All Blacks, the Chiefs North Harbour, Makers All Black debut. If he hangs around 2024, you'd have to think he'll be back in the black jersey for many more years to come scoring meaties ripping up razzle dazzle you gotta love it and well done to shoots but of course now we move on to the rugby world cup squad and monday arvo 5 p.m is when ian foster jason ryan and joe smith announce the team live from napier gotta say a nice touch having old richie mccaw the goat there to name the squad 2015 captain when we last won it so hopefully that is an omen getting ditchy kakor in the mixer overall Probably a pretty predictable squad, and I was gutted for a couple players. We'll touch on that soon. But 33 named our most experienced All Black side to ever travel to a Rugby World Cup as well. 1,493 caps with an average of 45 per player and an average age of 27. So I do like that. They always say you need experience to win World Cups, and that's exactly what we clearly have in this lineup. Sammy Whitelock, he's our most capped All Black, 145, but then we also have three other Centurions and Brody Retallick, Aaron Smith and Bowden Barrett. We have six guys heading to their third Rugby World
World Cup and another nine that have also played and won before. So we won't be overwhelmed by the occasion. We know what it takes to win a Rugby World Cup. She's completely different. You often have 12-day turnarounds between games. You're based in one city. It can be all-consuming and a bit overwhelming. So I love that for us. In terms of the hard lucks, i got to say Shooter, of course. Again, eye patch on, but I just think he offers us something a bit different in that back line. Can play wing, fullback, and I thought he might have pushed Caleb Clark for his spot. Clark, he's a genuine winger, but we've seen from Fozzie and Co in the past that they love having him in the side. He's even managed to sneak on the bench a couple times, which I've found interesting. So Caleb gets the nod, Shooter misses out. Tough times for arguably one of the form players in New Zealand rugby this year, but you best believe the bloke will be back. Brad Weber and Finau, I was surprised to see neither of these two make it, although both of them travelling over with the team, and I think that that is essential. They'll still be stinging, of course, you want to be named in the 33. I genuinely thought Brad Weber was going to make this team, and my logic behind that thinking was that if Aaron Smith was to go out early in the competition, early doors, which touch wood, that does not happen. The bloke I'd like to see come in to start big games as a straight replacement for him would be Brad Weber over Finlay Christie. The selectors though, they've stuck by Christie all year. They clearly see something in him that pushes him above Webby and they've rolled the dice, gone with him again and then Roy Gard is your third nine which I love. He gives us that point of difference, that Fakatava like a play. So great to see him in there. Finau, I thought he was unreal on debut on the weekend. Big, physical, hits hard, ball skills are doomed, scored a meaty and looked extremely threatening. Can also cover lock so it's good to see him travelling along with the squad because I've got to say between the locks and loose forwards we are a bit light there. We've taken six props so those two positions in particular the boys are going to play a shit ton of minutes there. Not a lot of rest and rotation so hopefully their rigs can get through that and fingers crossed for no major injuries. Speaking of injuries it was interesting to hear Ian Foster say that Moody and Blackadder weren't considered due to injury but are both due to be back playing footy sooner than Brody Retallick which just shows how highly regarded Brody Retallick is and completely fair enough he's one of the best footballers in the world. Thought Moody might have snuck in there not to be. He might be another bloke that is on standby as well because clearly Fozzie is thinking of him. Good to see Lester Fying Arnuku make his way into the squad as well. Extremely impressive on the weekend with Enor out. He gives us that ability to cover 13 as well. And then the other big inclusion was David Harvilly who I think was always set to come straight back into the team. Again that Enor injury might have helped him. He looked like he hadn't missed a minute though in his game for Tasman on the weekend. Again he offers us that ability to play 12, 13. His preferred position is actually 15 and he could probably play 10 at a pinch as well so expect him to get big minutes against your Uruguays and Namibias and maybe he makes his way into our 23. I think it'll be him and ALB in a straight shootout for that final bench spot. Interesting to see how they go. I think we play England in Twickenham in about two weeks time, the week before the World Cup gets underway so we'll get a great indication there as to what Fozzie and Co are thinking is our best 23. Exciting times as All Black fans though, the fact that we are able to leave out guys like Sean Stevenson, Brad Webber, Finau from this 33 just shows how stacked we are 
as a rugby nation. And I actually did a bit of an exercise the other day, true rugby purist loser stuff with friend of the show, Jeff McTainch, where we named a 15 for 2024 because it's often a perception that we're going to be a bit weaker next year with some of the biggest names in our game heading offshore. But the team was incredibly strong and there was still no room in the starting side for a lot of these players we are talking about. We're stacked for years to come. So again, exciting times for All Blacks fans. All eyes now shift to the Rugby World Cup though. Of course, I'm heading over for the pool stages so can't wait to rip in over in France. I believe we head in as genuine tied competition favourites right now with the French and the Irish. Good to see the French lose on the weekend too, albeit their B side and get up the Scots. I saw an article in the Herald, the French, they're going to get 200,000 euros each as a winning bonus if they take home the Rugby World Cup, which is unreal coin, so they'll certainly be motivated, but I think those top three sides are most likely to win it, and I give the All Blacks every bit a chance of bringing home the old Webb Alice Cup, the William Webb, in the late stages of October, and up the mighty AB. Some other results and touched on them there. There was plenty of international footy going down on the weekend, but two that really stood out to me, Samoa and Fiji, both getting the wins. And Fiji, they are humming now. They find themselves in a pool with Wales and Australia in the World Cup. Can they get out of there? I genuinely think they could. And if I was the Welsh and the Aussies, I'd be extremely nervous taking on this Fiji side. They went undefeated in the Pacific Nations Cup, took down Japan, Samoa and Tonga. We all know they play an exciting brand of rugby. They seem to have added a bit of clinicalness to their game as well. So they will be dangers. And then Scotland, the dub against France. I touched on it before. It was the French B team, but the fact the Scots were down 24 to 3 at half time and came away with the chocolates. That's a huge turnaround from them. And I think with Finn Russell at the helm, they are every bit a genuine threat for this World Cup as well. So you love to see that. Then moving on to your NPC footy, the old Bunnings Fark. Cup, the first round, delivered some close games, which you love to see. Good to see the likes of Yamanawa 2 and Southland. They appear to be drastically improved this season, and I think overall, as a competition, it's going to be a lot closer. It was 6-9 between Manawatu and Wellington, the defending champs and current Ranfurly shield holders, up until about the 69th minute, when that Manawatu bloke got binned, and I gotta say, a real brain explosion from him, just completely off the ball, ran in and smoked Ruben Love which set off a bit of a brouhaha brain explosion from him probably cost them a chance at winning the game but with Brett Cameron, Braden Yossi there in particular, they looked like they would at least push some teams down to the wire, they didn't win a game last year Southland, I think they only won one last year and they only lost to Waikato by 8 on the weekend as well shout out to Northgate skipper friend of the show Danny Drake who's made the move down there and the great man Marty Banks of course coming in off the Rimu, but good to see competition as a whole set to be a lot closer. Tasman and Canterbury for me, they still look to be the front runners. Canterbury extremely sharp against the Tanifar, putting 40 odd points on them. Auckland a massive comeback win against the Bay of Plenty who also look to be a good side. Zahn Sullivan clutched it. Auckland scored off a rolling mall in the 80th minute, tied her up and then Zahn knocked her over that beautiful left boot. Again, he's another one to keep an eye on for the future. 
uh, North Harbour, my team, so close but so far away. Some interesting calls from the referee. A bit of a referee in that one that I thought cost us. Hawks Bay stacked on paper and I thought it could have been a tough day at the office for the mighty Harbour Heat. But they dug in deep, played some good code and only went down by two points. So promising signs there. Round two gets underway tonight. Just a little insight to you. I'm actually recording this Wednesday Arvo. So you'll be listening once this game has been resulted. But Northland straight into a storm week as are Taranaki and they take each other on tonight up north. I think Taranaki will be too good but I expect Northland to keep her reasonably close and hopefully bounce back after a pretty disappointing performance from them. But games of the week for me, ones to tune in for if you do love your Bunnings Far Cup code. Counties Hawks Bay Friday night, that should be a good clash. Bay of Plenty Waikato, bit of a local derby there. That'll be bums on seat stuff. Tasman versus Auckland Saturday night 7.05pm. They get that prime time viewing slot. That is going to be a great game of course. No David Harvilly for this one. He will be with the All Blacks so Tasman lose a body there. Auckland, rumours Paddy Tui Polotu, Akira Ioane and Roger Tuivasa Sheck will all be back for them as well as AJ Lamb so it's bums back on steets and the Auckland lads get their superstars back for this big clash down there in Nelson. Super Sunday Harbour taking on Canterbury get up the heat. This is where we pull off the upset and really rock the competition. This game's being played in Oniwa, Takapuna Rugby Club, a horrible place, but a good place to watch some code. Good to see. This is a real throwback to the old school Buck Shelford type of stuff. So hopefully they get a good crowd out there. Sunday Arvo, I'll certainly be there. A couple bevies at Pat's Garage beforehand would be rude not to. But up the mighty Harbour Heat, interesting to see as well. The Harbour Hawks Bay game was actually the third highest viewings on Sky Sport now last week. So that's interesting stuff. Southland, Northland, the Battle of the Land straight after that one Manawatu Taranaki to follow as well so some more great games teams now with one under their saddle so that rust and early season lack of combos should now be fading and I expect this competition to go up another notch this weekend will Sean Shooter Stevenson be playing for Harbour as well we will soon find out six players I believe being released to play some Bunnings Cup footy so get out there bums on seats support your local without the roots there is no tree and up the old Bunnings Far Cup. Onto the weekly wrap now, and if you're new here, and there are a few of you floating around, so first of all, welcome to the STS experience, but the weekly wrap, this is where we gel over the weekend's other big sporting events, run you through and keep you up to date. The Women's Football World Cup, she's all over for the US, crazy scenes with them losing via penalty shootout to Sweden. Jeez, that Swedish goalkeeper saved 11 shots on target, an unreal shift from her, and the competition front runners, the rock stars of this tournament, they are gone and the Americans are piling on massively in their media over there. I even saw Donald Trump laying into them. Just shows how big women's football is. But well done to the sides that have moved through to the quarterfinals, including Japan and the Aussies, the Tillies, who of course I am riding home. Friday night footy, quarterfinals, Spain taking on Netherlands. It's actually at 1pm in the Arvo. A great viewing time there. Then we get Japan versus Sweden following that. Then Super Saturday, Aussies versus 
versus France at Suncorp. No doubt that'll be sold out in a heartbeat. And then England taking on Colombia with the top four teams advancing through to the semis next Tuesday and then the final next Saturday. So she's all go as the competition draws to an end. And good to see the viewership and the ticket sales for this clearly exceed even the expectations of FIFA, who are probably uncertain with how much the public would get behind it. But clearly... They certainly have. Jake Buller, he won on Sunday Arvo in that circus fight up against Nate Diaz. The fight went the 10 rounds. Jake dropped him multiple times, but Nate, being typical Nate, he was able to wear the damage, still be a bit of a joker about it. He was even faking being rocked and stumbling round before getting straight back into the biff. It was a clear mismatch, though, in terms of boxing ability and fitness and skill level. Jake was by far the better fighter. He rocked up to the arena in a tank, and that is when you know straight away that this is almost WWE style boxing but he gets another tick in the dub column he certainly can fight too I don't want to discredit his ability who he fights next we will soon see they were even talking about possibly these two stepping into the octagon to have a rematch in MMA I hope that doesn't happen that'll be a bit of a yawn but well done to Jake Buller and that money making machine continues to march on the Silver Ferns fourth in the Netball World Cup. Disappointing, they lost their last three straight games to bow out without a medal for the first time ever in that tournament's history. She was a tough shift. As soon as we lost Grace Nareki, the writing was on the wall and we just weren't able to compete with the other big dogs. Unfortunately, went down in that bronze medal playoff to Jamaica, 52 points to 45. Aussie won the final, did so, pissed it in by 16-odd points, 61 points to 45, winning about their 55th straight World Cup, shit are they good at netball, really starting to piss me off, but not to be for the Ferns, Nolene Taurua bows out without that fairy tale finish, but she's been one of the great coaches, sad to see her go, moving on, NFL, the mighty Browns got the dub in their preseason clash against the Jets, we're undefeated baby and football is coming home, certainly our year, good to see some more preseason games going down this weekend, 16 of them in fact, with two kicking off tomorrow, so this is where the momentum really starts to build towards the season kickoff. I think 8th of September, that first weekend of the Rugby World Cup actually, is when the NFL gets underway. So exciting times for football fans, still plenty of stuff to unfold off the field as well. But for many fans, they'll get to see the first glimpse of their team, probably more their backup options and wider roster players this weekend. But we start to build towards the start of the season. Exciting stuff and love talking the old NFL. And then finally, FIBA World Cup, fast approaching for the basketball with, of course, our lads, the tall blacks lacing up, heading over to this competition. The squad's been announced, and I think we actually take on the USA in our first game at the World Cup as well. How good is that? What a chance it is for the boys to pull off a massive scalp and a big upset. Disappointing to see the two Webster brothers won't be lacing up, both for personal reasons, I believe, but still a strong squad. So hopefully we can go over there and really rattle some cages, play some great basketball, friend of the show, Yanni Wetzel in the mixer, so just wanted to alert you on that one, end of the month, I think it gets underway, so keep an eye out for that, we'll be bums on seat stuff as well, how good. 
Q&A time. And like I mentioned, chucked her up on the story and shit did they come flooding in. You love to see it. So let's tick a few boxes and rip into them. First one, New Zealand Warriors faithful. What a roost. And he says, Harbour Predictions versus Canterbury this weekend. Yeah, look, we are taking on Canterbury. That is the official pronunciation for it. Obviously, we go in heavy underdogs. The bookies expected to be one-way traffic. Canterbury pumped the Northlanders, the heat went down in round one, but underdog mentality, hopefully shooters out there, the boys are going to rip and tear back at Oniwa, inspired by the greats that have worn the jersey before your Walter Little, Frank Bunce, Buck Shelford, we are going to go the big lift, this is the week we make a statement, upset season baby, the ambush is on Harbour 13 plus wrap your lips around that one, and while we're talking about Harbour, may as well rip into Henry Lee's question as well, he said his predictions for the Harbour Heat Auckland NPC game next week. Up the gulls, baby. Back-to-back home games for Harbour at Oniwa. Battle of the Bridge. This is going to be a barnstormer. Should be a hissing game. Auckland, like I mentioned, they're set to have all their rigs back this week. Maybe a couple of injuries. Again, you never wish injury on anyone. So let's see. think last year we got them during the pool games. They got us in the quarters or the semis, I think it was. So redemption will be on our lips. Up the heat should be a hissing day. Hopefully a great crowd too. Get on out there. Can't imagine tickets are expensive. Let's pack out the banks and make some noise. Nothing better than NPC footy. And I'll see you there, Henry. Might have to run it back at Pat's as well for a couple cold ones. Why not? Your next lot of questions comes through from Sione Akoi. And he says, do you think Tamari Martin makes it back into the Warriors team when he's fit? To be honest, yeah, I think he does. It's going to be an incredibly hard decision for Webby. Obviously, Luki Met been playing some great code. Shit is he exciting. He brings us something different. To Maire, though, he's more of that playmaker. Runs a great cutter, and he's just so classy. I think Webby made intentions. That was his one big recruit this year. Most of the recruiting was done by Nathan Brown, Cameron George, and co. Webby... He got his one swing and he wanted Tomaida. He brought him to the club. So he obviously rates him incredibly highly. And fair enough too. He's a classy footballer and a bloody good looking human being. So personally, I think he finds a way to bring him back into the 17. What that means for the rest of the squad, I'm not quite sure. But if you've got a bloke like TMM, I think you got to have him with that Warriors logo on his left tip. Great question though. And look, it's not a Craig Fitzgibbon. Anything could happen. Lukey Met in great form. Next one, Harry Bulker, how many pints will you have with big bulks in London? That is a great question. Looking forward to seeing your horse, of course, as I said, heading over for Rugby World Cups. I'm going to do the old tourist stuff, you know, Buckingham Palace, shoot across to London, have a cheeky little look. It'll be rude not to catch up with old Hazard Bulks, ex-Northcote. Great. I don't even know what the drop of choice is over there. Is it Foster's? I've seen those blue cans. So it'll be bloody rude to be over there for Rugby World Cup and not crack open a couple Ian Foster's in memory of our coach who's going to lead us to glory. So can't wait to see your horse no doubt will be in the dams tearing up a shift a big one hopefully don't come down with a bad case of benderitis after that can't wait to rip and tear next one from sam grubber how long do you think dylan Napper will last on the field before getting sent to the bin for a high tackle yeah look shit another enforcer to be added to this rooster's stock alongside nathan brown and victor radley of lads who loves sitting down in the naughty boy chair for a decent shift. Hopefully he can last longer than Brownie, 20-odd seconds, but wouldn't put it past old nups. He's a big body, loves chucking some shoulders into contact, so let's see. Hopefully he's been honing the tackle tech down in New South Wales Cup, and he comes out 
with some big shots, but legal ones at that. I'll give him over Nathan Brown, but under Victor Adley. I think he'll be in around that eight-minute mark when he gets sent to the bin. But in all seriousness, hope he goes well. Used to love watching him play. Next bunch of questions, and there's quite a few along the same line, so I'll rip into those both. Bids19 and Justine Biss. We're talking about the Waz being moved to Eden Park, the possibility of that for a prelim. A, why would the NRL do it? And B, do you think the Warriors will sell it out? Absolutely, I think we'll sell it out 100%. I've no doubt in my mind it's what, 55,000, maybe 50,000 bums on seats. The Warriors, we don't struggle to sell out 22, 23, 25,000 just for your regular season games. I think if you chuck us in a prelim, me oh my, it is going to be chaos trying to get tickets and I think they'll have no problems in selling that out. The bandwagon, she's hefty, jerseys sold out mid-season, all that kind of jazz to vanga. So I think there'll be a lot of people interested in these tickets. Why the NRL want to do it, it's purely for that. It's a money-making scheme for them. Of course, they get a percentage, so they want more people in the crowd greater ticker sales so they can take a larger takings and from round two onwards the NRL can dictate where you play your finals game so you may have seen last year Panthers they weren't playing from round two onwards at points bet stadium which is a stitch up for them because they're so good at home I think they've won 35 of the last 39 games there or something ridiculous but that stadium she's like Mount Smart capacity early 20,000 so they moved them to old Sydney where they could get 60,000 plus and make more coin there's a genuine possibility that they will do it to us I know for a fact though the ownership the leaders at the club they don't want it and they will fight tooth and nail with the NRL who certainly owe us some favors like I touched on earlier in the pod so hopefully that doesn't become a reality purely because I like watching the game better at Mount Smart and that is our spiritual home and saying that though the All Blacks they took a game to Mount Smart this year and got the job done so maybe it's only right and a bit of an omen that we take a game to Eden Park and tick that box on their home turf return the favour in 2023 we'll cross that bridge when we come to it but I think it's a genuine possibility purely just because there's money involved and we all know that NRL love their coin next one Ben Fox Foxy the Foxton fizz and he says thoughts on a permanent north stand I love it and I think if we are going to have these final games at Mount Smart then that is certainly something that needs to happen obviously ticket sales that comes into it it's not cheap to put up another temporary stand although you're saying permanent so that probably whacks that out there would be a cost involved though of course and saying that I think 2024 momentum is only going to continue to build you look at our roster for next year many people are saying that next year is more our year than this year I say why not both like the great Odell Paso ad but I think next year there's going to be even more demand for Warriors tickets. So I think there is a place for a North Stand at Go Media Stadium. So Go Media, chuck one up, appreciate ya. Then the club can pack it out even more and make it even more of a fortress. Next one, more of a hot take. And it's from Kat Crunk. And he says, Harvilli did not do enough to justify his selection for the ABs this year. Look, I can see your point. Been injured a lot. Obviously suffered that injury hamstring for the Crusaders down the back end of the season. And saying that, of course, I mentioned that Enor injury might have played into his favour. I think Fozzie was always going to pick him. They love his versatility, his silkiness. He's obviously quite experienced 
experienced, he covers many positions, so while maybe he didn't do enough to justify it this year, he's certainly in there on reputation. Watching him rip up the Tasman last week, I still think he's right up there with our midfield. When you look at your Enor, Quintu Paya, who are both injured, they were probably the two that were right knocking on his door, so I think it's only right that old Davey H makes his way into the team, but a fair enough take there, mate, and I'm sure there's probably plenty of punters that agree with you. And then the last two, and they both come through pretty much as shout-outs for the Northcote Tigers. One says Northcote Tigers 13-plus this weekend. The other says give Northcote Tigers a shout-out for making it to the finals on Sunday. Yeah, huge stuff from the Mighty Tigers. Of course, they're playing in the Shaman Cup final this weekend in Auckland Rugby League's local competition. They got the job done in the semi, I think fairly comfortably. 35 points to 22 against the Hibiscus Coast Raiders. So this week, They take on the Otara Scorpions Sunday, Mount Smart Stadium, the number two field, 3pm kickoff, so get out there, the spiritual home of Rugby League, of course, and watch the Tigers go about their work. Rugby Union, Rugby League, no matter the code, it's always up the coat, so good luck to those Roos, hopefully they rip in and bring a premiership back to the coat this year as always really appreciate your questions cheers for firing them in and if you got one for next week always chuck the stories up if i remember on a wednesday morning love to hear from you cheeky shout out on the pod and we can chew the fat with what's on your mind how good is that so that's us for another episode of Surly Talk Sports. Stay tuned. We do have a One Take Warriors podcast dropping this week. I think it'll be Friday, so tomorrow with the great man Jazz Tavanga, fresh off his return. Plenty of stuff to talk through with him. One of the great Warriors and lads on and off the field, so really looking forward to that. Another huge weekend, of course, gets underway tonight with some NRL action. In fact, she already got underway last night with the old Bunnings Far Cup, so strap yourself in, park yourself in on the couch. If you're heading along to the Warriors game in the Tron. Enjoy it. Look forward to maybe bumping into you down there and up the mighty Waz. Otherwise, I'll be at the Harbour game, Super Sunday. See you at Pat's Garage beforehand if you're heading along to that for a couple Darren Froffiers, a few skooey-skooey moimoys prior to kickoff, and we make some noise for the Harbour boys. But go well, enjoy all the action, and I'll catch you back here tomorrow for Surly Talks Punting, brought to you by the TAV. Rippin' Big Fizz.